Right on. So we're in week three of our series called Vertical Story. And uh, just to kind of let you in behind the scenes, um, we have what we call a felt need and an unfelt need when it comes to our sermon content. And a felt need would be, hey, what like what's happening culturally? Now, every week we talk about what's important culturally, but uh, hey, w- what are some things that we feel like we really want to say that's like in the, and so in this series, it's our annual series. We talk about it one time a year. Uh, we're, our website is verticalstory.com and, and we believe big in our story. The scripture says that uh, our lives are living epistles, meaning we're telling Telling the stories of the goodness of God and what God is doing. And so we believe in seasons and chapters and some chapters are bad and some chapters, you know, we can't wait to get out of that chapter and others are, are, are high points and, and we're excited about those seasons, but all of it makes up our story. All of it makes up uh, what God is doing in our community. And so uh, this week, uh, I'm excited to be able to, to talk. Uh, and if you're with us for the first time, uh, I, I hope that you appreciate this sermon, but I kind of want to talk to family. You know, if you're new, you're included in this. Uh, But I really, you know, in this series, it gives us the ability to kind of talk as family or gather around the table, if you will, and and talk about what God is doing and what he wants to do and see. And so I kind of want to do that today. And so it's a little bit more of a hard talk. Uh, It's a little bit more of, hey, let's be truthful. Like, let's really get into it. And so again, you know, this is family and we're family. And, And I thought about this, true love tells the truth. You know, like your spouse can tell you stuff that some other people can't because true love at the deepest level can tell the truth, can be really honest. And uh, I thought about it this week. Uh, I was uh, I was riding dirt bikes and I haven't had a dirt bike. I bought it in the winter. Haven't had much time to ride it. Obviously, you know how the weather has been. It was snowing this morning before first service. But uh but it's been a while. I, I, I used to ride a lot more when I was like 25. I'm 33 now. Uh, but, but it all kind of sets up the same. You put on the same gear and you go out and you have your bike and, you know, the bikes, they change a little bit, but not that much. And so I go out there with my buddy and, uh, you know, true love tells the truth at the deepest level. And so we're out there and we're riding and, you know, it's, it's an athletic thing. It's kind of a sport and a competition. You want to do things at certain points. There's jumps and turns and ruts that you want to be in and all this stuff. And so uh, we have those little GoPro helmets. And so we're kind of watching some of our stuff. And, and there was this one turn that I'm really struggling with. I'm like, man, why do I feel so slow in that turn? Like, so get the camera and just record me hitting that turn a few times and let's see what I'm doing wrong. You know, are my feet in the wrong place? Am I not high? enough on the bike what's going on with the thing and so we go through a few laps and and because he's my friend and he and he tells me the truth at the deepest level we're looking at this little camera he's like oh yeah he's like I see what's going on the the problem here is that you're fat <laughs> why are you laughing why are you laughing at that why are you la- I see all of you are laughing at me so I, and I was like well you're a real friend you're a real friend I wanted to call him a real something else but he was a real friend because he told me the truth And, uh, you know, there's so many pastors, and I think a problem that we see in church culture is pastors and ministries and pulpits, if you will, uh, have been so scared to tell the truth to people. And uh, all they want to do is just try to keep people, and we want to build the church, and we want to have attendees, and whatever it costs, all I'm going to do is make sure people are here, and so we haven't told the truth. We haven't actually even operated in true love. Because true love at the deepest level tells the truth. And so sometimes that's a hard talk. Sometimes that's a, hey, we need to look deep at ourselves because, uh, you know, we're, we're off a little here. We're off. And so true love at the deepest form tells the truth. And so today, as we talk about maybe some points that are a little bit hard, uh, I want you to know it's really done in the deepest form of love. 
because I want your life to be effective and I want my life to be effective. I want this church to be effective. I want the kingdom of God and our nation to be effective. Amen. And, uh, and so you have to tell the truth. You can't just sugarcoat everything. I thought about our kids, you know, too many pastors, literally like our kids, uh, Hey, you, you know, I don't want you to be mad at me so you can have whatever you want. How stupid would that be if that was my parenting philosophy? Eat as much candy as you want. Don't go to bed, in which that's kind of my philosophy. But anyway, uh, eat as much candy as you want. Stay up as late as you want. You know what we end up raising? You'd raise a brat, right? And I think a lot of pulpits have raised some really spiritual brats because all we've done is let them do whatever they want. Eat whatever you want. You know, stay up as late as you want. However you feel like the Bible keeps you happy, then just do that part. And you cut out a lot of the truths. But truths at the... At, Love at the deepest level tells the truth. And so there's these hard topics. Uh, you hear things in Scripture that are very upfront that say things like, uh, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so it talks about these great desires. I have a hunger and a thirst and a pursuit for righteousness. One thing says, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be un added unto you. And so it's saying if you live in a place where you're pursuing God and and you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, then everything else, all your needs will be met in that place of God. And, and let me break this down for a minute. In that place of God is where all your needs are met. So I'm going to use some terminology today in this sermon. That is this one is called the anointing. Like uh, we talk about how the anointing of God was on their life, meaning they were living in a righteousness. Righteousness means they were in right standing with God. Okay, how do you get in right standing with God? You follow the laws and principles that he laid out in scripture. And people say, well, the Bible's so full of rules. Uh, there's no fun that you can have in it. But the Bible has more promises in it for your life than it does any kind of rules, right? And so if you live in all of these, God says, hey, don't do that. That's not good for you. Do this instead. When you live in that place that God created you to live, then you're in this right standing, this righteousness with God. It's not about rule keeping. A lot of us are like, oh, I just got to keep the rules and keep tradition. But much of Jesus' ministry was like going to people like, oh, you've kind of kept the rules and done that tradition. But really, the kingdom of heaven is like this, which was abiding in a relationship with your heavenly father. Are you guys with me? So there's this overflow out of this righteous place with God. And it's not a holier than thou. Don't get it misunderstood. It's living in this righteous relationship where you say, I am about what my father, my God, my heavenly father is about, and he's about it, so I'm about it. And in that, we have relationship. We have this right flow. It's like when your marriage is working perfectly. It's working good with the kids and the bank, and everything, everything is working the way that you've principled it to be. And it's right. You're in the zone, if you will, right? That's what it is with God, our relationship with God. It's not that we've kept the rules. It's that our desires have lined up and synced up, and we're living the way God created us to. And I know that's a lot of church talk, and it's pretty easy to tune out on that, but it's the fundamentals of how God created us to be. It's like this microphone. If I want it to be at its optimal, optimal performance, you go back to the creator. What does the creator say about it to make it work perfectly? Same thing in our relationship with God. Do you want to live in right standing and righteousness and hunger and thirst for righteousness? you got to operate the way God has designed us to operate. Amen? It's not about rules. It's not about routines and rituals. It's about relationship and operating the way that God desires you to live. Amen? So today we'll talk a lot about uh, being in that place 
in the anointing, at the hand of God on our life, for being in this place of righteousness with God. And the reason that it's important is because God needs you there, but it's easy for us to get away from there. And it's the littlest thing that caused that to happen. How many have ever had like a blister on your foot or you've had a pinched nerve? And it's like in your back or your neck. Literally, you can have like a pinched nerve in your neck and you can't walk right, you know? Just one little thing is off and your whole thing is off. And that's how it works in the kingdom of God. We can allow one little thing to be a part of our life and it throws off your whole walk. How many of you agree with me? You've just left unforgiveness or you're bitter or you're frustrated with God because your prayer hasn't been answered. You have this thing and it's just allowed your whole walk to get off. It's important for us to constantly be evaluating Am I in the zone? Am I in the place that God has for me? And so the scripture talks a lot about it. It says that, uh, you know, Corinthians says that we are to examine ourselves daily. And so God, you know, not just on Sunday. We come in on Sunday and we say, oh, I'm doing my church thing. But every day you examine yourself. Why? Because God wants you walking rightly. Because anything that's valuable, you pay attention to. If your relationship with God is valuable to you, you'll pay attention to it on more than just Sunday. How many know in my house, I pay attention to what's happening with the car and the TV and the thing, right? All the things that are valuable to me that have cost, I make sure the kids aren't climbing up it and like, right? Anybody here today? (laughs) Uh, Same thing in our relationship. If it's valuable to you, you pay attention to it. And that's to be the same thing in our, in our relationship with God. That's why Corinthians says, hey, examine yourself daily. Pay attention to your walk with God, not for tradition or not because of it's a performance thing. It's because it helps you in your walk. And so the scripture says that in these last days, there'll be seducing spirits. And so we get kind of spooked on that, like, oh, what does that mean? These demons run around. And, and basically what it means is there's going to be wrong ways of thinking. There's going to be influences of an evil kind that get you to fall into things that you don't want to be into. And uh, all of you, no matter what your church background is, you can say, well, I don't believe in demons or spirits or that kind of thing. But I could put news articles up here of devastating things that happen in our world. And all of us would agree, agree that there's something demonic behind those things. All of us would go, that is an evil force at work that's bigger than ourselves. And so I believe the scripture says we wrestle not, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. It's more than flesh and blood what we see. Our decisions are more than how, how I react to Andy and Andy reacts to me. There's so much more spiritual happening. So we need to be aware and be tuned up, if you will, and make sure we're living in the zone because it's so much more than what you think. Amen? So the last days, there'll be seducing spirits. I know this is a lot of setup and a lot of church talk, but I, but I hope you hang with me. And so it says there'll be these seducing spirits. I believe one of those that we see happening is a spirit of complacency. I think so many people love to go, just tell me however I can be the most complacent. Just tell me what the bottom is. All I want to do is just the minimum, whatever it is to get by instead of what can I do to thrive in God? Amen. And so we have these churches that like just get by and I just have to go to that and I just have to. And there's this spirit of complacency that's setting in instead of like, hey, how can we be overcomers? How can we people who thrive in our community? Amen. And so we battle against this seducing spirit. And a lot of people, they think, well, now you're talking about being perfect. And, and uh, you know, the scripture says we go from glory to glory. And I believe that God wants us to progress and uh, doesn't want us to just be complacent. But he also doesn't want you to be a performer. Uh, he doesn't want you to be somebody who feels like you have to be perfect. God isn't into perfection. He's into progress in our lives. He's into progress. And so a lot of people think, you know, for us, oh, now we have to live perfect. 
you know, I'm a Christian. I have to be perfect. God just wants to see you progress. And it works like this. Uh, think about it in my life. What do I want for my kids? I want my kids to have the best life possible. All of you do too. Well, what does that mean? It means I want my kids to be able to develop and grow into the best person that they could be. Amen. And so every stage of the life, I'm not excited right now. Charlie, my little one-year-old, he's crawling and he's just right there. He'll take like five or six steps. But how many of you know when he went from turning over, you know, whatever, I forget it, if it's your belly. Was that the big deal or is it back to the belly? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> freeze the eggs. So um, <laughs> anyway, so but then, then now he's crawling, okay? Uh, so we weren't like, yes, he's crawled, he's arrived, let's leave them there. That's it. Well, you guys, we've done it. We've done one thing. Good job, Jess, my wife, we've made it. He's crawled one time, we're so excited. No, why? Because we know to, for him to live his best life, he should live a life of progression, going from glory to glory, just as the scripture mentions. God's not looking for you to be perfect. God's looking for you to develop in him. Amen? So we don't come to church because we want to go through a routine and we want to do, a lot of us get saved and we stop there. Oh man, I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to go to hell and now I'm just here. God's like, you're missing out on walking and riding a bike and all of this to your Christian life. Amen? And so it's about progression, but a lot of church cultures just say, hey, we can leave you at this complacent place. Just come and have a coffee and get through and uh, just do your Sunday thing and you'll be fine. But no, God wants you to go and to grow. And it's not about perfection, and I can prove it because God said all you have to do to see him move in your life is have the faith of a mustard seed. I'm not looking for you to be perfect and have it all put together. I just want to see you be faithful and put a little something in. Amen? So it's a gauging process. A lot of great teams are the teams, two talented teams. They play on a field. They're in a sports competition or whatever. They get into the locker room. A lot of times the ones that win are the ones that make the right adjustments. It's the same thing in our life. We have to be a people that go, hey, God, you've put me in this situation. You've called me to this, but I'm examining my life. I need to get rid of blind spots. I need to find what you would say to me, and I need to make some adjustments. God isn't into us being complacent. Well, we had one service. Now we have two services. Now let's just stay complacent and just kind of enjoy each other. God wants us to make adjustments so we can be as effective as possible. Amen. So Christians, you know, examine ourselves daily. One scripture says that God says, hey, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But if you're lukewarm in the middle, I'll spit you from my mouth. And what he's talking about is indecisiveness. Like, I need to know where you stand because I can work with you if you're hot and I can work with you if you're cold. But if you're in the middle, I don't know what I'm going to get. And I know a lot of women don't do this, but it's like when you're going out to a restaurant and you, some people may say to their wife, I've never had this, but you say to your wife, hey, where do you want to go to dinner? I don't know. Maybe here, maybe there. Hey, just pick one. Just tell me where you want to go so that I can effectively take you to dinner. Amen. And that's God. Like, make up your mind here. So that I can effectively work with your situation. But he's looking down on us and we have Sunday person over here. And then we have Monday person over here. And he's saying, pick one so I know which way to go with you. Amen. And so it's more than flesh and blood. And the truth is we wrestle with things that we don't even see. We have to stay tuned up. We have to stay in the zone with God, under the anointing, in the right relationship with him because we're in a battle. It's a fight. I'd love to tell you that it's a walk through a field of flowers. You become a Christian, you pray that prayer, and you get a robe, and everything is perfect from there. But it's a fight. Uh, and so Acts chapter 19 begins to talk about, I'll read it here in a minute, 
how you can't go through the motions. We got to be a people who can't fake it because that will get you in the end. Acts chapter 19, verse 11, it said, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. So Paul is in a place, he's in such a zone with God. There's such a righteousness and an anointing on his life because he's living in the ways that God created him to and in the obedience that God has called him into that literally handkerchiefs and aprons and things that he's ministering with are touching people and being healed. There's a transferable presence of God on his life that it's changing people's lives just by being around him. I wish that about the church, we wouldn't have to fight about bathrooms on Facebook and this stupid thing on Facebook, that just we walked into atmospheres and they were healed. That we just that we did our battles just by how we live, our story, our vertical story, that we didn't have to bicker about these things in Senate, in court, because there was just such an anointing that whatever we touched got right. Somebody say amen. And so verse 12, the handkerchiefs and the evil spirits are leaving them. Verse 13. It says, some Jews who went around driving out the evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So essentially, there's a group of guys starting to try to do this without any of the experience. They, they see it happening. They say, hey, uh, why don't we try that? That looks cool. And then they said, uh, and they said, they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Notice in this verse, they're saying, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul has a relationship with, not me, I command you to come out. So there's no zone. They're not in the zone. Amen. You with me? So verse 14, it says, the seven sons of Seva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. These are the guys that were doing this. Seven sons of Seva. Verse 15, one day the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Any wrestling fans in here? It actually went like this, if you have the rock version. It says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the Rudy poo? Any rock fans in here? Why oh, you all act so holy? You just said we're all grown-ups? Andy, you eat Fruit Loops every morning. For, Andy's trying to call me not grown. Andy, Robert, Andy. He's trying to, okay, whatever. I'll get back. I'll get a collar next week, and I'll talk all formal. I won't talk about frozen eggs and the rock. <laughs> So this was a call out is what I'm trying to say. These evil spirits were like this jabroni, if you smell. <laughs> a couple of my guys like it, and it's worth it to me. <laughs> it's five-hour energy. I can blame it on, you know. Blame it all on my. Oh, just kidding. No? Dan is with me? Okay, okay, let's do it. <laughs> I need something. So literally, it was a call out. And I'm just messing with you guys for humor's sake, which apparently I don't have any. So, so it was a call out. It's like, what, who's, who, who are these? This evil spirit literally recognized that those guys weren't in the zone. I have nothing to fear about these guys. They're over here trying to fake it and imitate it and mock it. Who are these guys? So in verse 16, it says, the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So literally, they got a beat down because they were going through the motions. They tried to pretend that they were at a place with God that they weren't. Any fakers in church world? Anybody ever see that? <laughs> the problem with that is you fake it to a point, and then you get to a place where it ends in a bloody beat down. 
And so I, I'm, I'm concerned that the church has played so many games that we're leading ourselves to a cultural status where we go into Senate and we go into the courtrooms and we go in to stand on these things and we've faked it for so long, we find ourselves bloody and naked on the floor. That's a good place to say amen. Because we, we don't know. We haven't spent time in the zone. We don't know what God's saying about our situation. We don't know how to talk about it right. And we sling scriptures and we hurl insults and we point fingers instead of operating out of a place of the anointing that literally our presence just goes before us and makes the difference. Would we just live out Christianity for once? Amen. Luke 4.18, of course, Jesus speaking, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. Anointed me to preach good news. The translation for the word anointing is given the ability. So the spirit of the Lord is upon me. If it's upon him, that means that there's a chance that it could not be. Now, obviously, this was Jesus, and he was all three. But you can say in your life that there's a chance that the spirit of the Lord is not upon you. Now, God never leaves you or forsakes you. But to walk in the anointing, like we saw with these guys, it rested upon him at this point. In the translation for anointing, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has given me the ability to preach the good news to the poor. God's anointing translates to its enablement, its empowerment, its impartation, and its indescribable ability. When you're in the zone with God, those are what you walk in. I don't know how this situation is going to work. I don't have the right words to say. I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this. But when the anointing of God and you live in the zone and you live in the principles that he's placed for you, you get to walk in enablement, empowerment, impartation, and God's indescribable ability. Many of us in this room could say, I don't know how we got out of there. All I know is like God showed up and he got me through it. That's the anointing of God. That's the hand of God on your life. And that's why it's important for us to live in that place because it's what gets us through. It's what pushes us through. And the opposite of it is two things. You can live two ways. Number one is man's way. We can do it our own way. So we come into a situation or a job or a scenario or a sickness or some situation where you need God to move. And you can do it your own way, which everything you do is then determined by what you know or what you create. Or you can submit your life to God's presence and God's principles and God's way. And number two, you would live on the anointing of God, which is what I just mentioned, his enablement, his empowerment, his impartation and indescribable ability. That's the anointing on your life. God didn't put us here with principles and practices and things that he's called us into so that we could just do tradition. He's put us here so that he can empower us with these type things in our community. Amen. That's why we worship. That's why we come here. That's why we do all these things, because we want to live out that type of lifestyle in our life. The anointing gives you more ability to do more than man ever should. How will I ever forgive? How could I ever love how can I think higher about this situation when others are thinking lower? How can you do it? It's through the anointing. It's through the Holy Spirit of God on your life that allows you to. But what if we live without it? What if you live outside those principles? Then it's hard to love. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to carry the weight of the world. It's easy to fall in depression and oppression and anxiety because we've stepped outside the zone. Amen. And so the anointing is incredible for our lives, and it's a promise that God has for us that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and that he, he, he promises about our life that in his presence is fullness of joy, and, and we'll be filled all these great vernaculars about when we live in the zone, we experience these things. And it's not that there's not going to be a fight. There will be. But we get to do it fighting from a place of God. Amen? 
I thought about Samson. Samson was a person who had the anointing of God on his life. He lived in the zone. He lived in obedience. He, he left, a lot of you that remember uh, the story, you know the story. God told him to keep his hair long. And if he ever cut it, he would lose the anointing on his life. He would lose that enablement and all of the things that I mentioned. And so he had done all these great things and all of this stuff happened for him until one day he decided, I can do it on my own. I can get out of the zone of God and I'll break that covenant. I'll cut my hair. And how many know it led to his fall? It led to his destroying. Why? Because he thought he could do it on his own instead of living in the anointing. I hope about our church and about our people that we realize the most important thing we can do is stay in that zone with God. Amen. I thought about David. David, there was nothing incredible about the stones he used. There was nothing incredible. If you were to pull those from Goliath's head and take a look at those stones and say, what is it about these that caused it to take down a giant? It was nothing more than the anointing. Amen. The slingshot that he used in its time was literally a modern-day BB gun. You literally got the least of these. You went and you got a shepherd boy who was just shepherding, and he went and got a BB gun, and he couldn't even put on the armor of the king because it didn't fit right. And so he went down under the anointing of God, and he took out a giant. How many of you know it wasn't the extraordinary equipment? It was the extraordinary equipper, amen? And so so many of us, you know, the, the, the king said, hey, when it comes time for God to call you into something, and you take a look around, oh, I want to start this ministry, or oh, I believe this for my family, or oh, I want to do this. You take a look around, you look at your equipment, you go, well, I just got the BB gun over here, and I can't even put on that armor, so because I'm not comfortable in that armor, so there's no way that God's called me to do this, because I don't have the right equipment, and I'm not comfortable. But most of the time, God calls you something to great, you don't have the right equipment, and you're not very comfortable, amen? That's when God puts his anointing on and causes you to do it and break through. Nothing exceptional about David's equipment in David's scenario other than God was strong in his weakness. The scripture says that God, in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. So literally, when you live in the zone and you say, how is this going to happen? How am I going to make it through? It's in that place of in the zone with God. It's God's strength that comes out of us. But if you live out of the zone, there's no strength of God to pull from. Amen? Uh, so what happens in your life when you're going through the motions and you're going through the tradition and you're just going through things and then all of a sudden life hits, you get laid off or sickness hits the family or anything, rejection. Uh, this part tripped me up first service too because I was praying for freedom here for people. You get... Like you're going through the motion, life, everything's going, and then like a just hits you, rock bottom. You hit rock bottom. Literally, you know, things are going good. Things are going, everything. It's like when you sing along to a song on the radio, and you think you're doing pretty good until the music stops. Then you realize how bad you're singing. Is that anybody in here? Brad Boonstra was with us at Garth Brooks last night, and we're singing, and the music would stop, and I'd be like, Brad, whoa. You're just, Brad. Um, he kept screaming for Trisha Yearwood, and I'm like, this is Garth Brooks. And uh, anyway, but that happens in life, literally, in your life. It's going, and you're going through, and then all of a sudden, it's like the rug pulled out. Where are you reacting from? When that happens, do you react from self, or do you react from the strength that you've put in yourself? The scripture says about David that he strengthened himself in the Lord daily. 
why do you strengthen yourself daily? Because when it's called upon for you to be strong, the strength is there. Amen? So David knew the strength that I am building up is going to be called upon at some point. I need to make sure daily I'm strengthening myself. So when the rug gets pulled out, you're strong. You're ready to react. Amen? So what happens in life when that happens to us? You can't just go through the motions. You have to be building yourself up in strength. So I have four points for you, and then we'll jump out of here. The first thing is Paul made it look real easy. And the first point that I want to give you, number one, is victory is not as simple as it looks on the outside. A lot of us, and that's a problem we have in church culture, is uh, you come to a place and you see, oh, look at them under the anointing they're worshiping, or, you know, that pastor says that, or look at that ministry, it's going so smooth, and they're doing so great. But what you don't see behind it is the fight and the prayer miles. I thought about this. The seven sons of Seba didn't know that you cannot have victory without the warfare. You can't go running through and have victory in your town and, and see all these accounts without first going and winning the battle. Anyone who has figured it out has figured out how to fight. They wanted a shortcut to something that Paul worked his whole life for. It's a fight from the womb to the tomb, spiritually. When you have your spiritual awakening and you, you step into what God has from you, it becomes a fight from the womb to the tomb. But the good thing, again, is you're not fighting from your own place. You're fighting from that zone under the anointing with God. Amen? I was with some church planners this week, and uh, we planted with a church organization called ARC, and uh, they invited all of the Michigan ARC pastors to meet with the future Michigan ARC pastors and just share things, you know, share things that you've done and your successes and whatever. So everyone's around the table. A lot of the guys are asking, like, oh, you know, like, how did you match your mailer to make it look like the website? And what kind of success did that translate? And like, what about the Facebook page? How did you integrate it to this thing to match all this stuff? And, and what kind of success did that bring? I'm like, I don't know. My success happened in prayer miles. My success happened when I, I was getting let go from other churches. Somebody say amen. My success happened years ago when I stayed faithful. Not any stupid Facebook or mailer, amen? Because you'll never find an unscarred champion. Everybody who makes it to the top has learned how to fight. And they don't fight. I'm telling you as a Christian, don't fight from your place. You fight from the zone, God's place, where his strength is made perfect in our weakness, amen? So they thought victory was simple, but they didn't see the fight. Number two, there were seven sons of seven. Number two, more numbers don't mean more power. I know that's terrible English, but... More numbers don't mean more power. Uh, but there were seven sons of Seba trying to do what the one who had the real thing was doing. So seven of them trying to, like, you think, oh, we can be more effective. But the one real thing had the real power behind it. It had authenticity. And I think there's a lot of us that come into a place, and I want to share with you today, you may feel like things are stacked up against you. And so, oh, you don't understand. My family has always been this way. You don't understand. The addiction has always been like this. You don't understand. I've never been able to get out of this. I have all of these numbers stacked against me. But if you just let the one real thing in, it outnumbers all the other numbers. Amen? You got to just let yourself get into that zone. You got to let yourself get into the place where God can make that difference. Amen? Number three, one day evil will answer the pretenders. You will get called out. In verse 15, it says, one day, evil, the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? The problem is you can only fake it in the things of God for a certain amount of time. You can only go through the motions 
until evil answers. And my thought to you is why waste your time going through the motions? What really is more important than making sure we're in the zone and staying in a place of strength so that when evil answers, we can respond accordingly. We can respond properly. Amen. You better, for us, we better believe what we're singing. When we come in here and we sing these words, we better at our core believe what we're singing because one day evil will answer. And I know it doesn't preach a good sermon and sell a lot of books, but I want us to be a people who are prepared, standing in strength. You're going to have to live like a Christian when you don't feel like it. Sunday Christian is one thing, but Monday through the rest of it, we're going to have to live out these things that we talk about because that's where our strength is. That's why the scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk in that faith place of strength so that we can live what God called us to. Amen. The scripture says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You have an enemy who is coming for you. Anybody want to get up and run around for that? Wave a hanky. Because it's not fun to talk about. You have an enemy who hates you. He hates your job, and he hates your bank account, and he hates your kids. He hates everything about your life. When you're, a king, when you're a child of God. But God has given you promises and principles that if you do these things, just like Job, when he said, look at Job, he's got a hedge of protection around him. Literally, the devil goes, man, look at Job. I can't even touch that guy because he's in such a zone with you, God, that look at the protection around his life. And that's what God has for us. When we live, I'm not saying you're going to have a perfect day every day, but the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the scripture also promises no weapon formed against you will prosper. We've got to live in that zone. Amen? I'll close with this. We can't run from our devil. We have to fight him. That's the truth. And he doesn't play by the rules. It would be so easy to say, you know, we got this blueprint, you know, in the Bible, a chapter that says, like, how to beat the devil, cheat codes, you know, and do this, up, down, left, left, right, up, down, whatever, you know. Oh, we got it. Okay, we're good. There is no playbook because he doesn't play by the rules. He takes cheap shots and he knows your weaknesses and he knows your blind spots. That's why church is important for us to come together and hold each other accountable and have each other's back because we can cover each other's blind spots. And so we come to this place and we come together and we hold each other accountable and we, and we care for one another. And the enemy can come, but he won't prevail. The scripture says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. We are the church, we are the people that he will not prevail against, amen? So my last point is this, number four. The enemy is aware of your status. You may be able to fake it with your wife or your pastor or your neighbor about what your walk is with God. You might be able to fake it with them, but the enemy knows where you stand. He knows how you're trained. He knows if you've got it put together, if you're standing in a place of strength. Because he said to this guy, wait a second, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but I don't have you on my scouting report. You haven't done enough in the kingdom of God for me to be concerned about you. That's a good amen, spot. <laughs> so you're not showing up on the radar here. Who are you? How long have you been, okay? And so for us, we need to make sure we're on the enemy's radar. He, he, he's not intimidated by us coming and having a coffee and, and hanging out and having a good, but if you guys all leave here and you start praying, if you guys all leave here and you start worshiping throughout the week, 
all of a sudden you start showing up on a radar that the enemy is going to care about. Amen? If we're going through tradition and we're just kind of happy, clappy church, but if all of a sudden we're showing up at Kids Hope and we're mentoring students and we're giving, you know, to generosity and helping people with cancer and we're doing what God has called us to do, all of a sudden we're going to show up on the radar. And notice those spirits couldn't do anything to Paul because he was living out of that strength of God that it overflowed out of who he was and onto what he was involved in. And it'd be so great if everything we do as a church, everything that we're involved in just spreads and the moves of God continue to happen on everything, handkerchiefs, aprons, parade floats, kids hope, all these things that we do, just going through town, helping people, restoring hope, amen? So that's why it matters. that you read your word. That's why it matters that we worship. That's why it matters that we come to Bible study. That's why it matters that we show up to all of these things because we're strengthening ourselves in the Lord. That's why it matters that we get our kids here. That's why it matters that we spend that time with our kids, leading them properly listening, paying attention, building up them, the next generation. Because the scripture says that all who rise up against us shall fall. If we can live in that zone of the anointing, our story is no matter who comes, we live in a place that God is our defender. And how do you do that? You don't let things become tradition. You don't read the word for tradition. You don't worship for like a routine. You do that because we want to live in that zone of relationship, right? That's what I've talked about in worship. That's why you hold hands. That's why you write stupid cards to each other. Who, who loves cards? Um, <laughs> you do all those things because you're saying, look, at we're in a relationship and we go on a date and we all, the, all, all these things in your relationship because you're relation, relationshiping. Just write that down. That's what we do with God. We do these things because we're relationshiping. It's a good series. Write that down too. We'll make a series relationshiping. I'm going to cuss by the time I'm done saying it, so I need to stop that. But you know what I'm trying to say. All this stuff is empowering. All of this stuff is God. There's power in relationship. There's strength in your relationships. And so that's what God wants for us. Like, hey, let me get in there with you. Let me walk alongside of you and empower you and protect you so that we don't have to fake it and go through the motions. Amen.